Welcome to the America's Quarterly Podcast. I'm Brendan O'Boyle, in this week for Brian Winter. Pedro Castillo will soon take office as the president of Peru. What have we learned about the once little known figure? In the last couple of weeks, we are starting to see a very pragmatic political person in as much as he's claiming to maintain some of the basic economic institutions. Three months after the first votes were cast, Peru's presidential election looks to be finally reaching its conclusion. It was a wild ride, with socialist schoolteacher Pedro Castillo rising seemingly from nowhere to lead a historically large field of 18 candidates, later finishing less than 50,000 votes ahead of his rival Keiko Fujimori, who waged an unsuccessful but corrosive campaign alleging fraud. But barring any major shift, and let's not count anything out in Peruvian politics, Castillo will take office on July 28th as Peru's fifth president in five years. So what will his government look like? In recent weeks, Castillo has been busy trying to signal that he will not be the disruptive radical that Fujimori and much of the Peruvian elite say he is. He's brought on some moderate advisors and walked back some of his most polarizing campaign promises. But will these early moves be enough to shift his image among many as a Hugo Chavez or Nicolas Maduro in waiting? And if Castillo is in fact not as extreme as his opponents paint him to be, how long can that last with a fragmented, opposition-controlled Congress that looks like it will be far from accommodating to the new president? To discuss the outlook for Castillo and talk about what we've learned about him in recent weeks, I'm joined from Lima by Andres Calderon. Andres is a law professor, a political analyst, and a journalist. He chairs the academic law department at the Universidad del Pacifico, and he's a columnist at El Comercio, where he was formerly editor-in-chief. Andres, thank you so much for joining the AQ podcast this week. Thank you, Brenda. Andres, we've learned a lot about Pedro Castillo in the week since our most recent episode on Peru during the campaign, when he was not even polling above 5%. And I want to get to some of what we've learned about him. But first, can you catch us up on where things stand in the certification process of Castillo's win. Some newspapers are still referring to Castillo as a candidate. So why has there not been an official announcement? And what has come from Keiko Fujimori's efforts to allege fraud? These are some unprecedented times in Peru at this time of the year after a presidential election. We would normally know who is the the next president. But due to Keiko Fujimori's legal recourses that have delayed the proclamation of of the new president, we have had to wait until the national jury of elections solve all of the hundreds of appeals that Fuerza Popular, the party of Keiko Fujimori, have filed. So we learned yesterday that the national jury of elections have finished that process and they have solved all of the appeals. All of them were rejected. So what comes next is that this national jury of elections has to send all the documentations and all of their rulings to the electoral bodies in the different regions of Peru. 
And then after a period of three days, they would declare officially the final results in their respective jurisdictions. After which we will have, once again, the National Jury of Elections to officially announce the national winner of the presidential elections. Unless anything else happens, I believe that Pedro Castillo would be officially declared the new president in this week. And so after this week, will it be safe to say that the campaign to allege fraud has failed and is over? Or do you expect to see that going on for some time? No, I think that the campaign to allege fraud has been a failure since its beginning. But nevertheless, there is a very strong movement of rejection towards Castillo. So the narrative might stick around for a while in the sense that extreme right parties and some media outlets might still be claiming that the election was fraudulent and that they won't recognize Pedro Castillo as the clear winner. So that would only add turmoil to our very hectic political landscape. Nevertheless, I don't think that that would stop Castillo's presidency. Andres, there was a moment in the first week after the runoff about a month ago where, to me, it looked like something very sinister and anti-democratic might actually be taking place and might actually prevent Castillo from taking the presidency we had a similar effort to overturn the vote here after our, our most recent election in the U.S. But something I heard was that the U.S. had the institutions to withstand such a campaign, but it wasn't clear that Peruvian institutions were as strong. What have the past weeks revealed to you about the strength of Peruvian institutions? What I think is that some of our electoral system has proven to be strong enough to withstand this type of attacks. Nevertheless, I'm more concerned about our society because these allegations of fraud, even though they weren't supported by any evidence, were clearly loudly heard in Peruvian mass media and they were also reflected in large movements of people claiming this alleged fraud without any evidence. So so I'm, I'm more concerned about how strong is our democracy from our groups, from, from the people being eager to accept the results of an election that might displease them after all. So these are troubling times in Peru. And the forecast for the next five years, it doesn't look very well um, from this perspective. You know, Andres, in the first round of the election, Castillo obviously surprised so many of us abroad and in Lima. And we had to quickly learn more about him. He's a 51-year-old teacher and a farmer whose experience in politics is rather limited to leading a teacher's union strike in 2017. In the past five weeks since the second round, what has been the most surprising or revealing thing you've learned about Castillo? There are a couple of things that, that we've learned from Castillo since the results of the first round of elections. For instance, is that he's a conservative guy. He's a very religious guy, and he has some very conservative values, even though he had the support of many of the more progressive left-wing parties. Also, we learned that he's not very keen to media outlets. He never did a full interview 
to one of the large national media, newspaper, radios, or television studios. And in the last couple of weeks, we are starting to see a very pragmatic political person in as much as he's claiming to maintain some of the basic economic institutions and people working in the government, such as Julio Velarde, who has been the head of the central bank in Peru for over the last 10 years. And this might sound contradictory to his very far left claims during the campaign, but it looks like he might be able to adjust to the political weather in Peru and instability, economic instability is one of the shadows that it's starting to rise over his new presidency. So he looks to be very adaptive to that situation. And Bellarde has been in that role as head of the central bank since 2006. And many credit him as being one of the reasons why Peru's economy has been relatively stable over the years, despite the political instability. One journalist described Castillo's tweet inviting Velarde to stay on as a, quote, love letter to investors. And Velarde is not the only more moderate figure that Castillo has reached out to. One of them has been former World Bank economist Pedro Franque. What can you tell me about Franque and how he ties in to what Castillo is doing? It is quite peculiar that Franke now is seen as a card for a moderate and responsible economic steering in Peru. Since Franke has been, most of his political life has been very close to left parties. In the previous election, he was backing Veronica Mendoza, one of the left parties candidates for presidency. But now that he's giving technical support to Castillo, investors, bankers, entrepreneurs are starting to see that as a showing of more responsible view, more adaptive view to the economic strength of our country. Franke has gone as far as saying that for making the needed reforms in our economy and in our social policies, there is no need to draft a new constitution. There is no need to go to constituent assembly as it, it is happening, in, for instance, in Chile. So that's a very moderate claim that, that it's a little bit surprising coming from Franke and coming from Peru Libre, which is the party that, that actually won the, the election. It's a departure from one of Castillo's main promises, which was to rewrite the constitution. Yes, but after Franke's claim, Castillo himself declared to a media that on his first day of presidency, he was going to ask the Congress for an amendment to try to push the drafting of a new constitution. So there are some mixed signals over there. Probably most people believe that if Castillo gets support from most technical advisors as Franke, he could mitigate some of his most extremist claims, such as the drafting of a new constitution. But if he starts to lean more on Peru Libre and its leader, Vladimir Serrón, then the probabilities of more dramatic changes are increasing. And certainly adding to the mixed messaging is the presence of Serrón, who you just mentioned as the president of the party that Castillo ran on, Peru Libre. And 
Serron, who is a former governor and a neurosurgeon who spent over a decade studying in Cuba and has praised the Cuban government and has embraced Venezuela's dictatorship, has scared a lot of people in Peru. And compared to him, some of these other figures like Franque look more moderate. But Serron is still the president of Peru Libre, which will go into Congress with more seats than anyone else. I wrote a piece recently for America's Quarterly about Serron. My takeaway was that he is pretty problematic for Castillo, but he's actually quite weak given that there are only 130 seats in Congress. They only control 37. So what is your take on Serron? How much influence do you think he's going to have? Well, I believe that his influence might depend actually on some external factors. One of them is the one that you mentioned, the fact that the political support in the Congress does not depend solely on Peru Libre. So Peru Libre and uh, Juntos por el Peru are the only two left parties in Congress, which control less than a third, I believe, of all the seats in the parliament. Therefore, Pedro Castillo needs to get the support from other parties to make a viable government. So that's one factor that diminishes a little bit of Vladimir Serrón's influence. Another factor is that Peru Libre is currently under investigation in Peru because of alleged corruption practice in the regional government in, in Junín, which is where Vladimir Serrón used to be the head of the office and also because of the illegal financing of Peru Libre's campaign in 2021. So that put him and Peru Libre in a very weak position regarding popular support, also regarding the possibility of making strong alliances with other political parties. So that might lead Castillo to get the support from more moderate political actors, which in the end would even diminish a little bit more of Serron's power and influence over the, the government. And one of those moderate actors that Castillo could move closer to is, as you mentioned, Veronica Mendoza, who ran for president in 2016, came in third, and then ran again this year, but underperformed. And many believe that many of her would-be supporters ended up voting for Castillo instead. What can you tell me about her and what does she bring to Castillo's team? And do you think she'll have a spot in the administration? It's hard to tell at this point because Veronica Mendoza's presence during this election wasn't so clear. I believe that she could be a more moderate personality than Serrón, but I have my doubts about whether she would be more moderate or less less inclined to far-left positions than the actual Castillo. I'm guessing that most of the technical support that Mendoza's party, Juntos por el Perú, has given to Castillo isn't as organic as it would seem. It, it's more supported in the affinity, in, in trust between Castillo and some specific people coming from that party. So I don't expect a very protagonic role coming from Mendoza during this government. One question some of my colleagues have had, considering the fate of recent presidents in Peru and the fact that Castillo will enter with a Congress that is right-leaning, extremely polarized, 
will impeachment be on the table given how easy it has been to impeach recent presidents? Regrettably, yes. I, I believe that the impeachment door has been open since 2016 and none of the constitutional bodies or institutions in Peru have had the, the willingness to close it a little bit. So nowadays, what you need to impeach a president in Peru is 88 votes. It's as simple as that. 88 out of 130 seats in the Congress. So considering that Castillo has enough votes to prevent that result nowadays, but given that the majority of the seats in the parliament are not coming from the left side of the political specter, we can expect that at some point, if one scandal arises regarding Castillo or Peru Libre or some of his allies, that opposing political parties in the Congress might try to trigger that impeachment button and at some point try to displace him from the seat of presidency. So basically, as soon as it becomes convenient for lawmakers. Yes, I would expect that impeachment threat might come sooner rather than later, even in comparison to what happened in 2018 when Pedro Pablo Kuczynski was menaced with, with an impeachment and ended up resigning from presidency. Andres, looking around, it doesn't look like Castillo is going to have too many allies in Congress. The media certainly isn't going to do him any favors, given the way certain publications kind of flamed allegations of fraud in recent weeks. Where might Castillo look to for backing? That's a very tough question. I don't think that he has many potential allies in our political landscape. He could try to do some of what Biscara managed to do successfully at some point, that, that is to have the popular support, to have people backing them up, even though he didn't have any presence in the, in the Congress, and to have that popular support helping him go through some of his political moves and some of his battles against the legislative branch. But I think that is risky, and I believe that it is very tough to have five-year presidency depending only on popular support. So my guess is that he might have to, and it would be a very wise move, he might have to try to create some alliances with some of the more center parties, such as either Somos Peru or Acción Popular or, or even Alianza Progreso. Nevertheless, those parties are known to move according to the waves of the political movement. So he might try to get that support, but he should be wise enough to know that it's not a sacred marriage. Andres, in Peru, there is no shortage of challenges facing the country. The economy shrank 11% last year. Peru has the highest per capita death toll from covid in the world since the pandemic started. It has one of the slowest vaccine rollouts in Latin America, with just over 17% of the population receiving a first dose. Given the sheer size of the crisis, is there any hope that we could see a rallying effect for Castillo to at least get some critical policies passed? Or is that wishful thinking? And if he can break through the polarization, where might he start? 
probably the most awaited decisions for Castillo to make in the in the first days of its presidency are regarded to the handling of the pandemic situation in Peru. So some of the people close to him have been on the record on saying that they would continue most of the policies that have been enacted in the last couple of months. And I believe that the current presidency is doing a fine job in securing the vaccines for all population. So there is a, a little bit of hope there that Castillo might continue with those efforts. And also there's some reason for hope that if Castillo managed to convince some political economic people, such as Julio Velarde or a good minister of economic affairs, that we might bounce back from our current critical situation. I, I believe that the worst scenario for him is that the political turmoil maintains and his presidency would face political crisis right from the get-go and that could either lead to impeachment or to the path of a constituent assembly or the dissolution of the Congress, any of which path would lead only to more instability. It may be wishful thinking, but I hope that's not the case. Finally, for my last question, I actually want to ask you, what questions do you have going forward? Where should we be watching to see how this all plays out? Probably the most important things to look for in the next few days are not only the official declaration of Pedro Castillo as a president and see how all the other political actors react to that official proclamation, but also to look for the first announcement from the government, especially what people would take part of their first cabinet, what people would be nominated for the central bank and for other key seats in the government. And if some of the current public officials might be willing to stay in office for uh, at least the first months of Castillo's presidency. Well, I know I will be watching very closely. Andres, this has been very helpful. Thank you so much for joining the AQ podcast this week. Thank you, Brandon, for having me. Um, have a nice day. Thank you for listening to the America's Quarterly podcast. You can read more at americasquarterly.org. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review, give us a rating, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Quarterly podcast is produced by me, Brendan O'Boyle, and by Leonie Rawls. America's Quarterly is an independent, not-for-profit publication of America's Society and the Council of the Americas. 